I'll wake you up. No, this isn't the start of a Columbus Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. No, nothing like that at all. But, oh, nothing like a little adrenaline from a chainsaw, right? Have you ever needed to use a chainsaw, but you didn't have, you know, one available? I mean, like a tree fell down in your backyard, you know, or something like that. And you had like a little axe, your little hatchet, you know, or something like that. You know, or like you used, I've, I've used like those big pruning shears. Have you ever tried to do that? And like cut all the way around the limb and then kind of break it. It did not go well. And then we got this chainsaw and it works way better. Chainsaw is way better. Now, when I bought my chainsaw and brought it home, it came with this huge book on how to use the chainsaw. You know, it had guidelines, it had suggestions, it had all these rules when it comes to using the chainsaw. The safety manual I counted of this chainsaw was 36 pages long. Here are some actual things that it says in in there. Don't use a chainsaw if you're tired. Don't use a chainsaw for anything other than what chainsaws are typically used for. Don't lend your chainsaw to somebody else without making sure that they have read the 36-page manual. Don't let minors use the chainsaw. They should probably have put, don't use a chainsaw in church in there. Wear proper attire like boots, gloves, safety glasses. We actually took the chain off to make sure it was safe in here. It talks about how to gas it up. It talks about how to sharpen the, the chain. Be extra careful in the snow and all this type of stuff. I'm not kidding. 36 pages of rules. Why would there be so many rules when it comes to something like a chainsaw? Well, a chainsaw is incredibly powerful, right? And when used incorrectly, it can cause significant damage. See, when I follow the rules when it comes to this chainsaw, I am much safer. Damage isn't done to the saw. It's not done to me. It's not done to the people around me, the thing that I'm working on. It actually makes a lot of sense for something as powerful as a chainsaw to have a bunch of rules to go along with it. Now, we're in a series that we've been calling Rated M, and we've been talking about God and sex and sexuality for the last couple of weeks. And I think that principle of the chainsaw is also true for sex and sexuality. Why do you think that God has rules for sex? And at first glance, the way we answer that question isn't the same way that we answer the question when it comes to the chainsaw. Why do we have rules for a chainsaw to keep us safe? Why do we have rules from God about sex? And we, we start to answer that in like weird ways. We get really odd about it. Like we're, we think that God shouldn't care about sex as long as we're not hurting anybody. Or we approach it and we go like, as long as I'm just kind of hurting myself, even God shouldn't care about it. Or we think God is kind of a little bit of a prude. You know, or we think Christians are a bunch of people who care a lot more about what goes in on in the bedroom than we should, which is a little creepy if you think about it. Like the reality is God has rules for sex because he loves us and he wants to help us. And because sex is a powerful thing in our lives. Now here's some foundational principles that we've been talking about when it comes to sex and sexuality. Here's kind of what we're talking about today. God's design for sex is for our own good. And I mean that for, it's used for good. It, it helps us be safe And God's design for sex 
is way better than anything that we could come up with. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is designed for marriage between a man and a woman. And this is a union between a man and a woman that happens. It's kind of a spiritual thing. And sex is designed for three things, baby making, procreation, a spiritual union, kind of marriage, and that's the spiritual part of it, and enjoyment. God's not surprised that we enjoy sex. And sex is powerful. And when we use it in the way God intends, it is a wonderful part of his creation. And lots of people believe lots of different things when it comes to sex and sexuality. But if we follow Jesus, we're called to extend grace and embrace truth when it comes to what God says about sexuality. That's kind of a recap of the last two weeks. So why is it that we get really nervous when we start talking about rules when it comes to sex or sexuality. Why do you think? Maybe we, we don't like to be told what to do. Any, any of those folks here? I don't, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm fine. Like, or maybe it doesn't matter if it doesn't hurt anybody, or the church is just a bunch of prudes. I don't know. But when we run past all these warnings, when we live outside of God's standard and the rules and guidelines in the Bible, we actually don't think much of it anymore. You know, we're in pursuit of something. Maybe we're in pursuit of something that feels good. Maybe we're in pursuit of love or affection. Maybe we're in pursuit of something physical, something social, something emotional. And we think that we're in control of ourselves, of our sex life, of our own bodies. And it's not that big of a deal because we're in control. And if it doesn't hurt anybody or anything, we're careful. It's all fine. Unfortunately, spiritually, I don't think that's true. This is 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 18. This is what it says. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And this is the image. You hightail it out of there. Like you high knee it, you vamoose, you get out of there like Speedy Gonzalez. Is that an old term? That's probably an old term. Uh, Look it up if you're below 20 or something. I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Why? Why should we run? Well, it says it because this sin impacts us in a significant way. It impacts our bodies. It impacts our minds. It impacts our spirits in ways that we don't see. And here's another way of saying it. When sex is used outside of how God intends, it damages and it destroys. Like a chainsaw cutting off your arm. I wish I had like, you know, special effects and we'd be like, you know, whatever. I don't know. And you're like, okay, all right. I get it. I understand what you're saying. But come on. Like Adam, come on. If you're careful... Sex doesn't damage or destroy. You know, that's some strong language. And you're right. It is some strong language. But let's really stop for a second, and we're going to talk about four areas that are outside of how God intends for sex and sexuality. And there are four areas that I'm going to focus on really today. We're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about casual sex in any way, shape, or form. We're going to talk about infidelity and we're going to talk about abuse. It's going to be a really uplifting day. <laughs> let's, let's talk about pornography first. Now, there are recent studies that have shown that most kids are exposed to pornography in some way, shape, or form by the age 13. 
And 84.4% of males and 57% of females, 14 through 18, have viewed pornography at least once. One out of eight porn titles shown on porn sites describe acts of sexual violence. One in three show sexual violence. Pornography can actually affect the brain like a drug. I've seen side-by-side pictures of an MRI, and it shows that it's addicting, and that it escalates, and that it can cause damage. And research shows that people who consume pornography tend to be less satisfied with their relationships, tend to be less committed to their partners, and tend to be more accepting of cheating. And I think pornography is particularly dangerous because it is an incredibly hidden thing. We can look at a screen and we think nothing is happening. But a whole lot is happening. And research involving current and former porn performers suggests that exploitation and trafficking are common experiences in the pornography industry, with pornography ranking as the third most, third most common form of human trafficking reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. What's the point? What are we talking about? What's the point? When sex is used outside of how God intends, it damages and destroys. It damages our head. It damages our heart. It damages our expectations. It damages the person who is even on the other side of the screen. Now, this is Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. This is what it says. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That is strong language. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Tell us how you really feel, Jesus. My goodness gracious. These are the words of Jesus. And come to think of it, as I look around, I notice that I don't see very many people with only one eye, and I don't see very many people with only one hand, and it's likely if you do only have one eye or only have one hand, it's not because of lust. It's because of a medical reason or a circumstance that you are in. I could tell a good Captain joke, you know, Captain Hook joke. You know, I don't know. I messed that up. I'm off the hook. Came back, came back, it's all good. Can you imagine, can you imagine though? Listen, if, can you imagine if we actually did this? Like this isn't some like obscure reference in the Old Testament. These are Jesus' words. Why in the world is this worded so strongly? Well, when sex is used outside of how God intends, it damages and destroys, even in our heart. And it would be better, that's what Jesus is saying, it's better for us to gouge out an eye than accept that damage that it does to the way we think and the way we feel and what we desire and what we expect. Are you starting to see how seriously God takes this? Now, how about casual sex or infidelity? And when I'm talking about casual sex, I'm really talking about you know, anything that's outside of that marriage relationship between a man and a woman. 
which infidelity would be a part of that. Have you heard this term before? You don't need to buy the cow if you get the milk for free. What a terrible thing to say. Like, have you ever really thought about that? Like, who's the cow? And like, I don't know. I don't want to get into all of it. We don't need to break it down. Like, what a terrible thing to think about. But where did that term come from? Well, the term is trying to illustrate why sex before or outside of marriage can be a complicated thing. It doesn't do a great job, in my opinion, but that's the intent. Now, here's some truth. Today, about 40% of Americans disapprove of premarital sex. Now, I want you to do a little math, okay? Because 90% of couples have sex before marriage. 40% disapprove, 90% of people do it. That doesn't add up at all. Like, we're hypocrites when it comes to this. Actually, most couples live together before getting married. And there are reasons for this. Here are reasons that I've been told in premarital counseling. That's something that I get to do when, when I uh, get to officiate a wedding. Here are real reasons that people have said. It was just a mistake and it won't happen again. We're in love. And if we're in love, it can't be wrong. I wanted to make sure that we were sexually compatible. Sex brings us closer together. Which that's true. It's actually a spiritual union. But here's the truth. Research has shown that the highest level of sexual satisfaction is linked to marriage. And researchers have not only found that sex is better in marriage, but it is best if you have had only one sexual partner in a lifetime. This is a, a quote from the research. Physical and emotional satisfaction started to decline when people had more than one sexual partner. There's a study in the University of South Carolina, and it revealed that people who engaged in premarital sex were more likely to be involved in extramarital affairs once that they were married. And when sex is used outside of how God intends, do you see how it can damage through pornography and what we think and what we expect and what we, what we view and how we interact with it? It can be affected by interaction with other people and socially and how that impacts us later. And then we wonder, well, why is the divorce rate as high as it is? Why is satisfaction in marriage not that high? Why don't we understand some of these things that we're interacting with all the time? Why is this such a hot topic? And we don't know. Well, the reason is because when sex is used outside of how God intends, it damages and destroys. So here's the last thing, and I want to give a disclaimer, kind of a, a disclaimer about the abuse topic. If that's something that you walk through, if that's something that is a part of your life, we're going to talk about it a little bit. We're not going to describe acts of abuse, but I just wanted you to be aware that we are going to talk about this a little bit today. This scares me, if I'm being honest with you. Okay. One in three women experience sexual violence in their lives. One in four men experience sexual violence in their lives. Talking about abuse in some way, shape, or form. I have a wife and two daughters. Statistically, at least one of them. Think about three women, the last three ladies that you talked to, or the last four guys that you talked to. One of them. In response to sexual abuse, symptoms of PTSD manifest in 94% of women. There's no singular indicator for people 
who commit sexual abuse, like the why they do it. But studies have shown that a couple of things do contribute, like societal norms of glorifying violence, objectification of women and men's bodies, and the big one, pornography. They're prevalent. And by the way, the research that I'm going through is generally not faith-based research. It's scientific research that proves what we're talking about. Because when sex is used outside of how God intends, it damages and destroys. How you feeling? Super uplifting, right? Here's the truth, though. God doesn't want your sexuality to lead to pain and destruction. See, God's design for sex leads to freedom from shame. That's the whole point of his guidelines. The point of the rules of the chainsaw isn't that we wouldn't use the chainsaw, it's that we would use it correctly. Sex is actually a beautiful gift from God. So this isn't a doom and gloom message today. Yes, sex outside of God's design is a big deal, but when we surrender, when we allow God to lead us, when we adhere to his guidelines, even if we've fallen short in the past, even if we don't fully understand it, even if we'd make mistakes and we bring baggage into the conversation, we have freedom from shame that nothing else can bring. Kind of like this. My name is Courtney Joe, and what life was like for me before Christ. You know, as a young child, I was sexually molested by a neighborhood teenager That behavior carried on with me throughout my youth. And when I lost my virginity, um, it triggered that trauma response. So all that stuff that happened to me as a child came back up and it led me into a deeper, darker sex addiction and drug addiction. I would use my body to seduce men. I am a survivor of human trafficking. And when I was pregnant with my son, I would rather do the drugs and have sex than be on bed rest which, you know, led me to going into labor with him when I was six months pregnant. So I found myself just in the bathroom wanting to die. I filled it up, the bathtub up with water and I tried to drown myself, but um, they rushed me to the hospital. I gave birth to him and he died two hours later. Since coming to Christ and surrendering, you know, everything to him, um, it is written, you know, who can enter the kingdom of heaven? And God says, those with clean hands and a pure heart and who are blameless. And I said, God, you know, I don't have clean hands. But that's the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross for us, is so that we can live our lives free from that shame and that guilt and that doubt and that fear. And he led me to Isaiah 43, 27, which states, you know, that our innocence has been stolen from us. And God says, you know, it's time to claim back your innocence. It's time to give the power to say no to others whenever they're trying to take something from you. And God gave me purpose in life. He told me I was worthy. Since then, you know, he's given me that chance to become a mother again. And uh, I want to live in that new life that God has for me. None of us have clean hands. That might be because of something that's happened to us. It might be because of something we've done or, or both. But listen, God's design for sex leads to freedom from shame. She, she mentioned it as new life. Well, how do we get that new life? And you might be wondering, look, I would never tell somebody, but like, I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go from here. What do I do when I deal, this, deal with this stuff in my life? 
And if it's not sex and sexuality, I think it's not that difficult for us to apply it to maybe some other snares and difficulties in our life. But the first week, we talked about how to start down this path toward freedom. This is what we said. We said, surrender your sex life to God. See, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, and absolutely Jesus is a huge part of our sex lives. See, God's love for us is way beyond what we believe about sex. God's love for us happens no matter what we believe, no matter what we've done, no matter what we looked at, no matter what we understand. See, Jesus and the cross is a story of power over death power over life, power over sin, power over struggle. And God loves you so much that he sent Jesus and he loves who you are and he asks you to surrender everything to him because he's trustworthy and he's good and he wants what's best for you even if you don't understand or agree, including our sex life past, present, and future. So today we're going to talk about two specific ways to surrender our sex lives to God. Here's the first one. Encourage you to confess your sin. See, confession causes us to do a lot of different things. This is a difficult thing. This is speaking out loud things that are in our heart. Confession causes us to acknowledge before God that we know and that we take responsibility for our sin. And it proves that we're not trying to hide anything from God or others or ourselves. It humbles us. It shows that we're asking for and we're relying on God's strength to help us change. It allows us to be continually healed. And most importantly, see this idea of confession or repentance, which is turning away from what's wrong and going towards Jesus. It sustains our loving relationship with God. And I don't know what you might be thinking right now. You might be thinking, ain't no way I'm saying anything about this at all. I get that. I understand. And you you might not think that this applies to your sex life at all. Or maybe you have dealt with this and you feel really confident in God's design for sex in your life. And that's awesome. Keep it up. But a lot of us need this reminder right here. This is 1 John 1, starting in verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to God, to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, this is all about Jesus. And this is all sin we're talking about, not just sexual, but for whatever reason, we pretend that sexual sin doesn't exist. And we're even okay to get past some of the uncomfortable conversation and talk about it in church, but we're definitely not going to talk about it to somebody else. We're definitely not going to confess where we fall short. So here's my encouragement. If you feel prompted to do this, we're going to try to give you a space to do this right now. I encourage everybody, bow your head with me, close your eyes. This is, this is a prayer, just a couple word prayer that we're going to pray, asking God for help in confessing this. So if you feel prompted in this way, tell God right now in your head and heart, God, I have fallen short. I need your help. Help me surrender to you. It's that simple. God, I have fallen short. I need your help. I surrender my sex life to you. So that's that first area. You can go ahead and 
Stop bowing your heads. Raise your heads. Open your eyes. So that first area is confess it. Confess your sin. God already knows, which is a hilarious thing about all this. But here's the the second one that we're talking about today. Rewire your brain. Oh, okay. Easier said than done, right? Like completely change the way that I think, right? I know this seems unattainable, especially when we're in the middle of a struggle. We're like, I can't rewire my brain. Now here's how... Here's how it's talked about in in the Bible. This is Philippians 4, starting in verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Even that is just hard. What's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's talking about holy things. talking about scripture. It's talking about God. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Talking about surrender there. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Change the way you think. And keep trying and keep putting it into practice. Here's how I think about it. Every day you try and you try again. And you will mess up. And I will mess up. And then we keep coming back to it. And we keep thinking about what is true. How do I find the truth? What is pure? What is right? And then one day, one plus one equals two times two equals four. I started to get, oh, I started to get ahead of myself. That's not good if I'm doing math in real time. It multiplies out. We start thinking with one thought. And that one thought of surrender to God multiplies in our heart. It's the work of God in us. It's God's peace, not our peace. And you are not alone in this. I encourage you, if you're really feeling prompted by God to make a change in an area that we're talking about, in an area of sex or sexuality, I'd encourage you, let's take that step today. There are people who will be down here to talk today. I'll be down here, but I want to mention two areas that we can take a next step, kind of in this rewiring our brain section. The first one, we have something here at the Ridge called Celebrate Recovery. It means it meets Thursdays at 6.30 here at the Ridge. You don't have to sign up. You can just show up. And if you're thinking, I don't know how to break out of this habit. I don't know how to stop doing the thing that I feel prompted to stop doing. Can I encourage you to go talk to the people who have been there at Celebrate Recovery? People who have walked down the path that you're on. And they can help. They want to help. They feel like this is a way that they can honor God by helping you take that step. And maybe you're in a situation where I'm talking about like abuse or shame and you realize you need, you need, some, you need some help. I encourage you, it's three words, just ask for help. We can connect you to help. Help can look like a thousand different things, but some things we can connect you to a trained counselor. And 
Counseling is a way that God can help step-by-step rewire your brain. Support groups are a way. Recovery groups are a way. Having someone to talk to and be honest about what's going on in our head and heart. Talking to a trained and caring professional about things is a healthy thing. It's a good thing. It's a God-honoring thing. There should be no stigma when it comes to it. It is an amazing way for God to help us take these steps in rewiring our brain. But I want to be laser clear today. You are not alone. God's design for sex leads to freedom from shame, from hurt, from pain. Now can I tell you, I'm not standing here talking about this without my own scars or my own wounds. Pornography was a part of my life in college. It was a part of my life early on in marriage. And I can tell you firsthand it damaged things. It hurt my wife, Abby. It hurt her sex life. It hurt me. It hurt my relationship with God. Because anything outside of God's design damages and destroys. So much so in my life that I went to counseling because I didn't want to be ashamed anymore. I didn't know where to turn. But I'm here to tell you that God provides freedom from that shame. If you struggle with pornography addiction, there is hope. If you want to break out of unhealthy sex cycles in some way in your life, there is freedom. If you've had an affair and you've hurt someone you don't know what to do, there's hope. If you've been hurt by somebody because of their sex life, because of abuse or hurt or pain, there is freedom, not because of what we do, but because of who Jesus is, because he has power over death, he has power over life, and he has power over us. If you've been abused in some way, there is hope. If you've hurt somebody in your sexual life, there is freedom because we can surrender our sexuality to God and God's plan is better. God's rules, even when we don't fully understand them, are for our own good and they keep us safe. And God's design leads to freedom from hurt, freedom from shame, freedom from pain. There is hope. Because of God's love, his perfect love for us. I'd like to pray for us today. Heavenly Father, help us, like we've been talking about today, not act like we are without sin. Whether it's this area or another area, I am so grateful that you provide hope. Hope that comes from Jesus, hope that comes from us taking steps, hope from relationships that we have that encourage us, but that you provide hope that we can't provide for ourselves because of Jesus and the cross and for stepping in our place, my place, because I fall so short that you give us this opportunity to live without this shame, without that pain, without the worry 
that we're going to get caught without all of the things that come with, with these things, that you want us to live a life full of hope and full of joy, that it's alive in us. So help us surrender this to you. Help us confess our sin. Help us rewire our brain because we know that your design is beyond our comprehension and that it is the most hopeful place that we can be. Help us take these steps. Help us trust you. Help us surrender. And I ask that you provide hope that is beyond our understanding, that it overflows in our head and heart. It overflows in our life. It overflows in our relationship. It overflows in the way that we interact with you because you love us so much. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that he brings. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.